Well, good morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us this morning at Broadway 1109. We want to invite you to stand as we sing together this morning as we reflect on 2019 and all that God's done. We can sing that your love never fails this morning. Let's sing together. separate even if I ran away cause your love never fails I know I still make mistakes you have new mercies for me every day cause your love never fails Sing it out, you say. You say the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. I know that you love me And your love never fails The wind is strong and the water's deep I'm not alone here in these open seas Cause your love never fails chasm is far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side but your love never fails sing it with us you stay the same through the ages your love never changes there may be pain in the night but joy comes and when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid, because I know that you love me, and your love never fails. My good, you make 
This morning, isn't he? Church, you can have a seat. We want to say welcome to Broadway Baptist here at our 1109 service. We want to thank you for being here. If you're new with us, uh, we are particularly excited that you're here. Uh, we want to say welcome to you. And uh, we hope you got a bulletin on your way in. There's a little perforated tab on the side of that. We ask that you fill that out, tear it off, and you can drop it in our offering plate here in just a few moments as it comes by. And if you miss that, that's okay. You can still turn it in at the end of our service at our welcome desk located in the back of our sanctuary. That's our way of getting to know you a little bit and learning about uh, you and your family and how we can best minister to you and meet your needs uh, through the coming year in 2020. Uh, we are excited about all the things that are going on. We hope you're paying attention to your screens and the bulletins as you enter and exit the building. Uh, that's the best way that you can stay up to date on all that's happening here at Broadway. We are excited about some of the things that God is doing in the coming days, and uh, we hope that you'll be a part of that with us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue into our time of worship. Would you bow with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that this morning we can come into uh, an hour of worship and praise and uh, an hour of, of escaping uh, the pressures and the, the busyness of, of a hectic season. Lord, we rest in you this morning. Lord, now as we reflect on uh, the past year and as we look forward to uh, the coming year, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your never-failing love that we just sang about. God, we thank you that uh, we can trust you to complete a good work and that we know you will continue to be faithful in the coming days. God, we love you. Now, as we move into uh, our service and our time of worship together, God, we pray that you are honored, that you're exalted, that you are the only one who's lifted high this morning because you're the only one who deserves it. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to continue to sing this morning as we worship our God. Let's sing together. We make way for you, prepare a place for you, let our praise become your throne hear your people sing give you everything jesus all for you alone all hail the king all hail the savior jesus the son of god all 
stories of a Savior, holiness with human hands, treasure for the traitor, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, the image of the Father. it out. You are worthy. You are worthy of your
amen. As our ushers come forward, you can have a seat for a moment. We're going to pray together as we move into our time of giving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that has taken place this morning. Lord, we thank you for um, the, the time of, of worship that we've already had. And Lord, we know that you're going to be uh, present with us as we continue. Lord, as we move into uh, our time of giving, Lord, we recognize that this is an act of worship as well. And Lord, we want to give generously and, uh, and with a cheerful heart. Lord, we pray that you would take our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings, that you would bless them and the giver to further your kingdom and your mission through our church here at Broadway. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to sing as our ushers pass our offering by. That the highest king would welcome. I was lost, but he brought me his love for me. His love for me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Won't you stand and sing with us together this morning? Free at last, he has ransomed his grace runs. While I was a slave to Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. The sun sets free, oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. My father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes, I I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against I am who you say I am, I am who you say I am, who the sun sets free, oh it's free indeed, I'm a child of God, yes I Father, your word tells us that through your son, Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of you. God, we rest in that promise this morning, and we are thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
appreciated. And this announcement, it was not intended to be a lead-in uh, to the sermon as we, uh, as I just announced, of, of a funeral for someone. Uh, but it should make us sober about the subject matter that I will be preaching on, uh, as I will be preaching on the certainty of death uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 50 through 58. Uh, of course, more than that, uh, I'll be preaching on the hope in the resurrection. Uh, but it is a subject matter that we must think about. So who here has seen It's a Wonderful Life? Maybe you watched it on Christmas Eve. All right. You know, I, all right. I didn't know how many hands I'd see. First service, there were less hands in the first service than I thought, but it was about half and half. And I think a lot of, you know, many of you have seen that movie and are familiar with it. I watched it uh, on Christmas Eve. I've watched it a few times. I don't necessarily watch it every single year, but uh, I've seen it a few times and I watched it uh, the other day. And when George Bailey, who's the main character, he wishes they had never been born uh, as he contemplates taking his own life. He's thinking about, I'm going to jump off this bridge. I wish I was never born. And when he makes that wish, he gets a glimpse into what life would have become for the people in his life that he loves and cares about the most. So if he had never been born, here's what life would have been like for all these other people. Uh, so he, he gets, an angel comes to him and shows him what that would have been like. Uh, one, his wife never marries. She becomes an old maid. Uh, and of course that causes him a lot of grief. Friends and family don't recognize him. His mom does not know who her son is. Um, uh, a friend, Mr. Gower, he is... He goes to prison. Um, uh, there's Uncle Billy. He was institutionalized after his business failing. He just went crazy from it. But to me, like the saddest part of the vision that he has in this alternate life where he was never born, the saddest part of the vision, I believe, is when he stands at the headstone of his brother Harry. The headstone reads that his brother died when he was just nine years old. And in this alternate view of life, Harry never saved the soldiers in war who were on a transport ship uh, from the kamikaze mission uh, that, that, killed, that would have killed so many. And so, in reality, in the movie, Harry, that act of service he, he did in the war merited him, merited him receiving the Medal of Honor. He, of course, had died, though, in this alternate reality, because without George ever being born, George wasn't able to save him from drowning when he was just a child. So, in this alternate reality, without George ever being born, Harry died when he drowned at nine years old. And to me, this feels like the most hopeless of all the experiences of the, of the vision. Uh, the other things are sad uh, to think about. His, his wife never finding love and marrying him. Friends and his mother not recognizing him. Someone going to prison. Another being institutionalized. All those things are sad. But this where not only did his brother die, but the men on the ship who his brother saved, they died also. So it's just it's such a grim, grim picture of death in this movie. And if you've seen the movie, you know how it ends. And if you don't know how it ends... Spoiler alert, the movie's been out for who knows how many decades, so uh, that's your own fault if I give it away. 
The movie ends uh, with the vision helping George to see the value of his own life. It gives him an exceedingly grateful heart for the fact that he's alive and all the blessings in his life despite the turmoil he faces from all the money that went missing. And uh, of course, all his friends, they show up uh, to help him in his hour of need. And they give him the money that's needed to keep everything afloat and to keep him from scandal and possibly jail. And he is, of course, a very blessed man. He sees just how great life is. Even before everyone showed up to help him, he saw how good life is. It's a great movie. It won Best Picture. Uh, not the best theology in that movie, so don't, you know, don't get your theology uh, from that movie. And don't get your belief about angels from that movie. Uh, you know, don't, get, don't get those things from that movie. But a good movie, and we could take some good things from that. And there are countless spiritual themes that are present in the movie. Uh, but I want it to bring our attention to the matter of death. The pain that death causes. The effect of death on this world. But more than that, how there is a remedy and hope even in the shadow of the valley of death. So this morning, uh, we'll read from 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58. So let's read together. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The book of 1 Corinthians, it is filled with exhortations and rebukes from Paul to the church. Uh, the church in Corinth, it was plagued with all kinds of sin, all kinds of uh, terrible things, and really Christian malpractice, just how they were living. Uh, the church in Corinth was a big mess. It was a big mess. And if you've studied it, if you've read the book, you know that. You see that as Paul uh, goes through it. Uh, so here's some examples of, of things that the church in Corinth was dealing with. Uh, there was a lot of arguing and discord. And not exactly a lot of unity in the church. And some of that stemmed from who they, who they said they followed, whose teaching they followed, which Paul addresses in the first uh, chapter. And, and of course, as well, they were seeking worldly wisdom. Uh, so, you know, we don't seek worldly wisdom, worldly insight into the, the problems of this world. There are no true and lasting answers. You know, there are some... There are some good things that people may be able to bring that we can learn, but those have no hope for eternity. You know, we go to the doctor to help us with our physical body. Those are good things. Those are good things of this world. But we don't, we don't see a doctor to 
solve our, our spiritual problems, do we? So there's, there's good things that are out there, but worldly wisdom never has the ultimate answers for life. There was gross immorality in the church in Corinth, specifically with sexual sins, uh, gross immorality. So much so that Paul said of this particular sin, this person should be immediately removed from the fellowship. So, most cases in, in what we would call church discipline, there is a process, uh, there are steps of going to the brother or sister as one or two, uh, and if they don't listen, bringing them, uh, you know, again, going to them again, if they don't repent a third time, bringing before the church. In this case, the sin was so bad, so disgusting, Paul said, remove them immediately from the fellowship of the church. Other issues going on were Christians suing other Christians on matters that should be handled within the church. There is divorce, of course, something that plagues our culture. Probably every one of us in this room affected by divorce. Me personally, I have been, my family, my mother, my father, they are divorced. A matter that is so pervasive, so sad, so destructive. In our culture, was a matter that was destructive in Paul's day in the church in Corinth as well. There was a general careless lifestyle of believers in the church in Corinth. They abused the Lord's Supper. People were getting drunk off the wine at the Lord's Supper. And there was just chaos and a lack of order in the use of the gifts. So God's given all these spiritual gifts and there's just such chaos with, with it. And so much out of place. And the overall tone of Paul's words to the Corinthian church, it is harsh. It's a very harsh letter. This is not the, the feel-good sermon. Like Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, it, it is not the, the rah, 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 make you feel good. It is hard-hitting. But he, he's doing his best by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only to warn and instruct the church, but ultimately... Paul's ultimate goal is to encourage them. And Paul is pouring his heart out to them because ultimately he does not want them to die a spiritual death. Sometimes those harsh words are needed. Now, my word for you this morning is not a harsh word, uh, but Paul, so much of what he was saying in Corinthians was, was harsh, but he was warning them. He was warning them not to follow in sin and die a spiritual death. And as we get to chapter 15, Paul begins to explicitly focus on Jesus and the resurrection. So he goes through all these tough things, addressing them kind of one by one. In chapter 15, he gets to the point of, okay, all these things are bad, but what's, what do we do with it? He gets to the good news, right? There is no good news without bad news. So Paul lays out a lot of bad news for them. All the things that are wrong with their church. But he then goes to the gospel. He brings them the good news. And the message for them in chapter 15, it is the core and crux of all Christianity. So when you have doubts about your faith, you need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This needs to be your go-to. The first place you go. And where you place your trust in. 
So I'm, a, I'm afraid uh, too many Christians have a faulty view of their faith. And I think Paul addresses those things directly in chapter 15. So let me, let me illustrate. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians, well-meaning Christians, and true Christians, say something to this effect. Even if I'm wrong about being a Christian, it will have still been a great life. And I'm glad I lived for Jesus, even though they were wrong. Because it was the best life I could have lived. I have truly heard that sentiment so many times. I've heard it from people I greatly admire in the faith. And this is something that I, at one time, I kind of ascribed to that uh, philosophy for a time too. And maybe you showed up this morning and that, that is how you've always thought of your faith. But Paul, he, he crushes this thought in chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. He just totally destroys it. So uh, anytime we're faced with the Word, let us come to the Word. Let the Word shape and change us. So if that's been your, your thought, you know, this is not a rebuke of that, but let, this be, let these words inform you and your faith with what Paul says in chapter 15, 12 through 19. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So there's an argument about is there a resurrection? Will will our bodies be resurrected? And Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection of our bodies, then that means also Jesus was not resurrected. That's what Paul is saying. He goes on. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul says, if you you didn't catch all that, Paul says, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave, if we don't have a bodily physical resurrection, Christianity is pointless. What you believe would be pointless. What you do on Sunday mornings is pointless. When you share the gospel with friends, family, neighbors, strangers, he is saying it's pointless without the resurrection. He says we should be pitied. If Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, we should be pitied. We're wasting our time. There's a lot of other ways we could be living life. And ultimately, he says, we're misrepresenting God if this is not true. So Paul is very direct in his words here about the seriousness of the resurrection and what this means for our faith. But of course, Paul's whole argument in this is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. That is Paul's argument in this. And we hinge it all on the resurrection. This is the whole case of Christianity and the point of Christianity. Without Jesus resurrecting, we have no hope. 
But we have hope in the resurrection. So the rest of the chapter, Paul works through the topic of death and resurrection. And he ultimately concludes with an encouragement. So despite all these, all these bad things Paul's addressed, and then he gets and he, he focuses on, he argues for the resurrection of Jesus, he concludes with great encouragement to the people, to the church at Corinth. Which brings us to our passage this morning. There's five things, five uh, points we can learn uh, from this passage. Certainly not uh, an exhaustive list, but uh, number one, believers in Christ will have a physical, bodily resurrection with glorified bodies. We see that in verses 52 and 53. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Number two, it will not be possible to be in the new heaven and new earth without a resurrected, glorified body. So if you read to the book of Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation, God makes a new heaven and new earth. This is where we will dwell in our resurrected, glorified bodies. It will not be possible to be in that place without a resurrected, glorified body. Verse 50. So the first verse of the, of the passage we're looking at. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So what he's saying here, it, it, you know, there's different ways words can be used, right? There, there's all kinds of ways words can be used. In this instance, Paul, when he says flesh and blood, a lot of times we kind of associate that with uh, flesh in terms of the struggle of flesh, the struggle of sin. Uh, and here, I mean, we can, those things would be true about how if we're in sin, we do not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, that is certainly true. Uh, and he may have a double meaning here implied also, uh, but the flesh and blood not, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Here he is speaking about our bodies as they are cannot be in the presence, cannot be in the kingdom of God. Now, one way we can know this and see this is, think about Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is before God. Isaiah is in the throne room of God. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. Isaiah is calling out a proclamation of, of really kind of death, that he cannot stand to be in the presence of God. Being in the presence of God in this body would cause us to die. If we were to see the face of God in this body, we would die. We cannot stand it. So in the new heaven, new earth, we have to have a new physical body because we're going to be seeing God all the time. <laughs> it has to be made new. This body, this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We have to be made new. Number three, some will be alive when Christ returns and their bodies will be changed instantly. Verses 51 uh, and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul's about to tell us what the mystery is. So the mystery doesn't remain shrouded. It's not hidden. He's going to unveil it. We shall not all sleep. What he means is, when he says sleep, he means die in this physical body. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable 
and we shall be changed. All right, so the vast majority of human history of Christians, we will die, we will pass away, but there will be some. Christ will return before, before they die. Perhaps in our lifetime, perhaps it's not. We don't know. Um, but Christ will return. And while those who have fallen asleep, those who had di- have died, their bodies will be resurrected. They'll be given new bodies. Those who haven't died, they will be changed instantly. So their bodies will be changed instantly despite not having died. Now that is, that is what he's saying there. Some will be alive when Christ returns and their bodies will be changed instantly. Number four, death has no power over those in Jesus. And this is so much of the point of the message. Verse 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, in Isaiah 25, uh, verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. So in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah proclaiming that He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Number five, the hope of the resurrection gives us the strength we need to trust and do the work of the Lord today. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in the resurrection, there's a hope that our labor is not in vain. And hope is real. It's not an empty hope. Our labor is not in vain because of the resurrection. And perhaps we don't think about the resurrection uh, much because we don't think about death much. And sure, we may think about death uh, at a funeral or immediately following the death of a loved one. You know, when it's, it's painful, but, most, but really most people simply just kind of go through life not thinking about that matter much at all except in those times. We go throughout so much of life without thinking about the finality of death. Um, and with this, I'm just reminded of uh, what a professor uh, at seminary in my pastoral ministry class, Dr. Herschel York, who's a pastor in Frankfurt at Buck Run Baptist Church, uh, he talks about how he prefers to do a funeral over a wedding. And, and, you know, that may sound terrible, but I know exactly what he means. And what he means, and he did explain it, is a wedding, weddings are great. And there's great opportunity for the gospel. Uh, and you get a lot of people there, and you can preach the gospel at a wedding. Great opportunity to preach the gospel. But a lot of times people's attention for that, uh, they're... They're just, not, they're just kind of there for the wedding, just there for the reception to give gifts. They're not, their minds aren't really focused on the seriousness all the time of what's before them. Now, as Christians, we, we may be thinking that way. But at a funeral, as difficult as funerals are, people's hearts and minds are thinking about the subject. They weigh heavy 
on the people there. And it's a great opportunity for the gospel because people are thinking in the moment of the seriousness of death. And while you know our culture in general doesn't think about this some, hopefully we as a church and, and you in the pews are thinking about this subject some. And perhaps you think about it often. And I know we're all, all of different ages and stages, uh, but the reality is that you know your days are numbered. Every believer, every single one of us in here, every single Christian in the world would be wise to recognize, no matter, no matter our age, we are all awaiting the day our bodies fail us. It is inevitable, unless, of course, the Lord returns before that time. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I'd see on, like, you know, whether it's on Facebook or, who, you know, just somewhere on the internet, I always see stuff, and I know you've seen them too, there's always some new study that brilliant scientists at Harvard, Yale have discovered linking it to death. Like, looking at the sun too much may lead to your death. You know, it's just caffeine may lead to your death. Like, they could literally name anything. And every time I see those things, yeah, there are some things that's like, yes, obviously, like, smoking a lot of cigarettes is probably going to make your lifespan shorter. There are some things like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Probably not the best idea to do that. There's other things. It's just like walking down the street may increase your likelihood of death. It's just like we're all going to die. <laughs> we, we don't live forever. I see those things and it's like that's so ridiculous. And meanwhile, we got, who knows, millions and millions of dollars going so they can study the fact that people are going to die. It's just crazy. But we would be wise to actually think about the fact that we will die. We're not going to outlive this world. And it is a subject that I've given a lot of thought about in my own life the last couple of years. And yes, I'm, I am still relatively young. I'm 31. But there's two things that I know. I know for certain. And they're, they're scary thoughts. <laughs> things that put fear in me. One is I could die at any moment. Certainly if I could die at any moment, you can die at any moment. I don't say that as a, you know, merely as a cliche, but I truly realize at any moment God may call me home as my earthly body fails me. You know, I, I've seen friends go through uh, terrible things. One friend of mine, I've shared it with the youth countless times, uh, um, and today might be the two-year anniversary of it. I had a friend, his wife died uh, in, in labor and his son died. Like In a matter of days, this is going to be his firstborn son. It's been two years since then. Young, a, a young lady, that, you know, just totally, I mean, pretty unexpected. Uh, our bodies fail us. I know I could die at any moment. Truly, anything can happen. We think so much of it is, is cliche, but they're not. I could die in a car wreck today. I could die of a heart attack. Sometimes young people have heart attacks. I could discover that I have you know, very advanced cancer that will not be able to be treated. I mean, these are all like, these are, this is reality of how things are in this world. Our bodies fail us. We're not promised anything. Man, that's kind of frightening. It's a little scary to think about that. 
Number two, another thing I know, even though I'm young, another thing I know is the years go by fast. They go by so fast. And even if I'm blessed with a long life, let's say I would be fortunate enough to have 50 years left. You know, that put me at 81. Man, that would, hey, that'd be pretty good. I, I, I wouldn't complain about making 81. Uh, that, that'd be pretty good. It's above the average life expectancy. But since becoming married and having a kid, uh, man, I, I am grasping more and more the reality of time flying by and slipping away. Hey, it, go, it goes fast. And everyone, everyone in this church who, who has a kid has come up to me in this time since having a kid. He's 17 months old now. Isaiah's 17 months old. He'd probably come up to Chris and said the exact same thing uh, <laughs> about, man, it's going to go fast. It's going to go fast. It's going to fly by. And everyone says it because it's so true and you experience that. And, and, you know, I'm experiencing that. And, you know, sometimes days can be long. We all, you know, you, you have a long day at work. Things don't go right. Uh, traffic was terrible. Oh, uh, you had to deal with this problem at work. Someone said something to you that wasn't so nice or just, you know, things are taking too long. Days can seem long sometimes, but... The years seem far too short. Probably every single one of us, as we get to New Year's Eve, we're like, man, this year flew by. And the next thing we know, like, it's 2020. We say, man, that decade flew by. The days can seem long, but the years seem far too short. I'm sure all of you would agree. And... and yeah, so much of this, you know, as I've contemplated these things, and they've been heavy on my heart for a couple of years, even before having Isaiah, um, been heavy on my heart. And some of that stemmed from a conversation I had with my brother over text one night uh, a few years ago. And it was just a long conversation. We talked about everything, but then it kind of took a turn into spiritual matters. And we started talking about the subject of death. And we just really got, you know, kind of delved deep into the subject and, I was just, I was, it's hard to explain, I was just grieved over, over the fact of death. And I had to go, it was late at night, and Beth was asleep by that point, but I had to like go to the bathroom, and I just like wept. I, I just thinking about death, and mostly thinking about how fast life goes. It goes so fast. And we'll spend so much of life and I, I struggle with this. We probably all struggle with this. Thinking about, you know, the next thing in life is, you know, this is going to be this. And then we attain it. And then there's something else to attain. And then we get that. And then there's something else to attain. And life just slips on by. And me, I'm like, a, I'm a big planner. I like to plan so much. And so I'm a financial planner at my house. And so, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, to retire. Like we have to have, and it's, you know, I'm going to get to be, you know, Lord willing, I'll get to be 65, 70 years old and, you know, be retired. And it's like, well, great. And now I'm old and retired. And, uh, you know, what am I going to do with this? Hopefully I have a heart to give uh, and to, to do good with those things and not use them selfishly. But I'll strive all life going after these things. They're going to uh, be fleeting and fade away. Uh, life is short. It will pass us by so quickly. So do not fall into the temptation of believing that you have all the time in the world left to live. 
James 4.14 describes life as a vapor, is here for a fleeting moment, and then it's gone in an instant. Death is inescapable, and it should cause us to grieve. It should. This should be the reaction to death. It is okay to grieve. Jesus, the best example I can think of is Jesus grieving at the death of Lazarus. And this is in John chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. So I'll read. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And he said, where have you laid him? Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Here you see Jesus uh, in one of the greatest moments of His humanity, of the Son of God in human flesh. Jesus experiencing the pain of death of others, of His friend. Have you reflected on death? Have you done it much at all? Maybe you've thought about it some, but have you taken time to reflect upon what it means when you die? So remember what Paul said about Jesus' resurrection. Either He didn't resurrect, and we are completely without hope, and this life truly has no purpose. We will just die and return to the earth as dust, or Paul's point is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is real. And there is an everlasting hope. This is really one of the only two options. I, when I have conversations with, you know, with, uh, with someone who's an unbeliever, who doesn't believe in Christianity, whether they're atheist or agnostic or, or other, maybe another religion, I'm always, as an evangelistic tool, I'm going to the resurrection. That is where I want to spend my time. I, you know, it's okay to talk and discuss other matters, uh, and other apologetic matters. But I want to spend my time talking about the resurrection. What are you going to do with the resurrection? You may not believe God parted the Red Sea. You may not believe Noah's Ark. We'll get to that later. First, you need to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That is where I want to spend my time, and that is where we should focus on as Christians when we're sharing the good news, because that is our hope. That is our ultimate hope. God parting the Red Sea, Noah and the Ark, those things, are, those things are pointing forward to Jesus. That's the point of those stories. As they point forward to something better, how God is going to save His people, and that saving comes through the resurrection. We must always remember the work of Jesus. We are to value the time we have in these mortal bodies until we are given new ones. So, uh, let's... Let's kind of stick in John 11 uh, for a minute. I'm going to read verses 17 through 37. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So let me pause. Martha believed in the resurrection of our physical bodies. And so she's saying, yeah, 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 Jesus, I, I know he's going to live again. I, I do know that, but I'm hurting. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The scoffers come out. Before Jesus raises Lazarus, they scoff at Jesus. They've heard about these stories of Jesus healing people, giving sight to the blind, like, well... Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? They're scoffing. And, and the same is true today. Scoffers, they see death and pain and suffering, and they see it as a reason to say, or as an excuse to say that God is not there, God is not good, God is not real. All these things. Scoffers see those things and they point to those. However, we know Jesus Jesus knew full and well everything that was going to happen, yet He does weep the death of Lazarus. But Jesus knows. Jesus intentionally waited to come back to perform the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. This was intentional on the part of Jesus. Because, again, right, it would be easy just to say, like, to keep Lazarus from dying as, as, far, as, the out, as, far as others would see it, because they would have just said, well, you know, well, yeah, he kept him. He didn't die. It's not like Jesus raised him from the dead. So if Jesus had kept Lazarus from dying, they would have said the opposite. They said, well, it's not like Jesus actually raised him from the dead. So Jesus goes, and of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead. God defeated death, and God scoffs at death. So why, why people may scoff at God for the things and the trouble and ultimately death, God, God scoffs at death. There is no victory in death. Death has no power for those who are in Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And death does not have victory in the end. Jesus raised Lazarus to illustrate that He has the power and the keys over death. 
Of course, the resurrection, the hope of Jesus and what He does should give us urgency and hope. It should give us urgency to proclaim the message of the Gospel. That there are people, you know, we hear it, you've heard it, you know, from the Billy Graham Crusades to every evangelist. It is true, people are dying. People are going to hell. It should give us urgency, but it also gives us hope. The resurrection is real. That death, while troubling, while it does grieve us, and it should grieve us, we have hope. But don't take it lightly. Don't just you know, skate through this life never thinking about it. If we're not thinking about the seriousness of it, we may not have the urgency we should to share it with people. So we should be reflecting on this. But ultimately, then we have the message of hope. We have the good news. We have the good news. And it, because death, there's all things we can all, always identify with people. When we talk about sharing the gospel, uh, you know, we want to find bridges and maybe um, things we have in common. One thing we all have in common is death. We've all experienced death, death of people we know, we love. And also the certainty that our bodies will fail us. So what do you do with that question? And then we think about the resurrection of Jesus. That is where we place our hope and our trust and what we go to, what we lean on and everything. And that's Paul's encouragement. So despite everything else that's going on, and there's sin in all of our lives, and that sin is what ultimately causes death, all those things that, you know, things that we need to repent of, that we need to trust in Christ to find better than our sin, the good news is that Jesus has resurrected and he's taken our place. So Paul is pointing them there to this place, to the to the not just the cross, but also to the resurrection. They are connected. And we can't lose that. So that's Paul's encouragement. A lot of things messed up with the Corinthian church. But know this, if, if these things are going to change, if you guys are going to follow and trust in Christ, know that He's resurrected. There's power. And you don't have to be the same. Therefore, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So don't get tired and, and don't quit. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, man, you feel like you're just trudging along uh, and, and maybe not getting anywhere. You may feel dry spiritually, but remember the resurrection. Remember that Jesus is alive. That He rose from the dead. Place your hope in it. If you find yourself outside of faith in Christ, do not continue to toil and strive in vain for a life that offers no hope. You know, the Bible also tells us, you know, as believers, we do not grieve as those who grieve who have no hope. You know, there is nothing sadder than being at the funeral of someone who does not believe. It, it, it is so terribly sad. And, and people, you know, they want so badly... You know, there's so rarely people who don't believe, people who may be agnostic or atheist. Those people, deep down, you know, they're hoping, they're wishing. They don't. If they're to be consistent with the worldview, they would just, well, you know, they're just returned to dust, and and that's it. But you know, 
they're not saying that. They're saying, you know, oh, they hope he's in a better place or she's in a better place. They hope for heaven. But they have no hope outside of the resurrection if they're not placing their trust there. And it's so terribly sad. But we have the message of hope. So let us share that message. That there is hope in Jesus. That, that the pain and sting of death, it only is temporary for those in Jesus. For those apart from Jesus, it is permanent. And it is terrible. And it should cause us to grieve. But it should give us urgency. This is a, is a simple gospel message. But one we are all in need of remembering every day. Perhaps you know people to witness to that need to hear this message. That you can share with them what you've gathered from this message today in 1 Corinthians. Alright, Paul had a lot to say to the Corinthians. And it was all, it was all really important. It was, it was vital and they are vital things for us. But Paul, it came down ultimately to the resurrection for him. That was what Paul wanted to get to. Listen, Jesus is alive. He's not in the grave. And may it be so in our lives too. So at this time, we're going to have our invitation. We'll pray as the band comes forward. And respond to this message. Respond. Perhaps you need to trust in Christ. You fear death, not because of what it means just being apart from those and the pain it may cause others, but you fear death because you don't have hope. And if you don't have hope, what you should fear is the judgment of God. There's a real thing that we need to think about. If we're in our sin, we are under the, the judgment and condemnation of God. So perhaps you need to respond. You need to trust in Christ. You need to repent of your sins, to turn away from your sin and look to the resurrection because there's nowhere else to go. The world, worldly wisdom will not offer it. It will not give you uh, the hope that is only found in Jesus. If you're a believer, perhaps you need to respond and just uh, and, and with a renewed hope, a renewed uh, trust in the resurrection. Uh, so at this time, let us respond. Let's stand and sing together this morning. darkness I called your name into darkness your mercy came you called me out lifted me up how great is your love you bore my weakness you took my shame Bearing my burdens in fields of grace, you called me out, lifted me up, how great is your love. From the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth, innocent perfection. You gave your life for us, and we are amazed. Yes, we stand in awe. 
For we have been changed by the power of the cross. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great. How great is your love for us. In your kindness, you lead me home. In your presence, where I belong. Oh, you called me out, lifted me up. How great is your love From the heights of heaven You step down to earth Innocent perfection You gave your life for us And we are amazed Yes, we stand in awe For we have been by the power of the cross How great, how great, how great is your love How great, how great, how great is your love How great, how great, how great is your love for us God like you love so true there's never been there will never be a God like you love so true there's never been there will never be a God like you love so true there's never been there will never be god like you love so true yeah how great how great how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great is your love for us how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great is your love how great how great how great for us. Let's sing that together. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, 
How great is your love for us. One more time, sing it out. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great. How great is your love for us. Amen. We are glad that you are with us this morning. We thank, we are thankful that uh, you would choose to spend an hour out of your already busy weeks with us here at Broadway. Uh, a couple of reminders. We have no services this evening, uh, so we would encourage you to uh, go home, spend some time with your family, and uh, recoup going into next week. Uh, also, don't forget that this Wednesday is New Year's Day, which means we will not have Wednesday evening activities either. So we will see you next Sunday in 20.